Shalom, Shabbat Shalom. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 8 today. We're going to go into Hebrews chapter 8. Now remember, when we started off a few weeks ago, we were in chapter 5, and when we got to chapter 5, I believe it was around verse 11 or verse 12, the author had to take a break with the audience, because the audience wasn't getting things, they were still what? They were still in the milk. And they couldn't comprehend what he was about to speak in the subsequent chapters that we're now going through about the Malkitzedic. So in chapter 5, about 11 or 12, verse 11 or 12, he says, and he admonishes them, come on, come on, you need to get out of the milk so that I can now tell you the exciting things about our faith. This chapter, chapter 8, really resonates with me. And I think it will with so many of you. Because for me, my exit from the institutionalized church was Hebrews chapter 8. Many of you have heard my story, but I was sitting in an elders meeting, an elders Bible study at Calvary Chapel, must have been a decade ago by now. And we were in Hebrews chapter 8, those last couple of verses where it says, we'll get to it, that which is growing old is near disappearing. Some translations are even rougher, about to be abolished. Well, of course, it's the old covenant. It's the law of Moses that's abolished in the traditional church. But I was so hungry at that time in my life because I had spent eight years of drinking milk. And I knew, like many of you, that there had to be more. There had to be more. You see, this is where the institutionalized church doesn't recognize Yahweh's people. Because Yahweh's people have a passion that grips them so hard that no matter what you say, we have a desire, we have a passion inside of us that burns in our very souls, that no matter how much doctrine and dogma you try to throw at us, you will not keep us down from that passion that says, we know there's more and we want the meat of his word. We don't want the doctrines of your religion, but we want the meat of his words. And that is where the institutionalized church has not realized the power and the anointing of his people. They will not be put down. They will not be stomped on because it's inside of you, that passion for meat. And for me, a decade or so ago, Hebrews chapter 8 was my exit from the institutionalized church because I said, no, this chapter is about priesthood, sacrifice, and service. This isn't talking about nailing the commandments to the tree. And at that point, the door opened. And I had to walk through it. And I believe there may have even been a boot up my... But this chapter is not about nailing some law the commandments of Moses to a tree. This is about priesthood, sanctuary, and sacrifice. But now the author is getting more technical 
because this is the meat. He's getting more technical. And this you won't hear taught in the institutionalized church because it's easy just to whitewash everything with lawlessness. Because babies can eat that, drink that right down, can't they? Because babies are naturally carnal. They have tantrums. And the carnal man is an enmity to Yahweh's commandments, it says in Romans. It's our natural flesh that doesn't want to keep the commandments. Bathe them in the milk of lawlessness and you'll have a happy flock but they will not do well in times of tribulation. And we live in a time where tribulation is coming and we need to be the soldiers of Yahuwah's army, nourished not on milk, but on the meat of his word. So as we get into this, it is meat. It's more technical. Our focus in this chapter is going to be priesthood, sanctuary, and sacrifice. Our focus is going to be on the high priest, what he has to offer, and where he performs his ministry. So let me repeat that. It's about our high priest, what he has to offer, and where he performs his ministry. We do need to understand, we do need to understand that the tabernacle on earth was always... It was always incomplete because it was only ever what? It was only ever a copy. It was a copy of that which was in heaven. Now the focus is on the tabernacle. Notice in Hebrews chapter 8, the focus is on the tabernacle. It's not on the temple. He uses the word tabernacle. Why? Because they weren't looking to the temple. They weren't looking to the temple institute that many look to today. Because the temple, that wasn't even in their view. It was so obviously corrupt. But the tabernacle, that did hearken back to the actual instructions of Moses. The tabernacle was viewed as holy and the temple was viewed as unholy in the time of our author's communication to his audience. It was overtaken in whoredom. The temple was overtaken in corruption. And we see this in Acts chapter 7. I recommend in your own time, read the whole chapter. It's Stephen's address. And he hearkens back not to the temple, but the tabernacle. Because that hearkened back to holier times. Holier times. The true essence of the tabernacle realized by Stephen in Acts chapter 7 and those at the high council in Acts chapter 15 was what? Remember in Acts chapter 15 that we're going to raise up the tabernacle of David after he admonishes them, after the high council agree that if we're going to have fellowship together, then there's a few things that we have got to set straight. This is, this is the milk. Abstain from meat sacrificed to idols. That means that you worship Yahweh the way he's laid out in his word. If you worship him according to an Ishtoreth 
Easter fertility goddess, he says that that is like sacrificing meat to a goat demon. And Amos chapter 5 tells you, you know, your prayers, they're not going to be heard. Abstain from meat sacrificed to idols. Abstain from sexual immorality. That means we have to have some kind of code of ethics when it comes to our loins. That's often not talked about in the institutionalized religion. Abstain from things strangled in blood. Because we may have an own egg afterwards and share some food, and we don't want you bringing in a luau in here. Meaning, go back to Leviticus 11 and find out what's bloody food. Because a luau isn't even food. Okay? These are very simple elementary principles of Christ. And finally, if you're going to be growing up, keep on coming back on Shabbat to listen to the instructions of Moses. This is when you start to erect, not the temple, but the tabernacle that was fallen. And that is really what we're seeing because if you were to turn back, the true essence isn't the temple up in Jerusalem, but the true essence of the tabernacle realized by Stephen and those at the high council in Acts chapter 15 was Numbers chapter 24 verse 6. But you'll miss it if you read it in the Masoretic text. In the Septuagint, in Numbers chapter 24 6, it says, Israel is as tents which Yahweh pitched. Anything good in your life, anything good in my life, it's because Yahweh pitched us and he gave us the platform and he raised up the structure. Anything. He, that's the difference between Yahweh's people that press into the meat. They realize that he pitched their tent. That's the question you have to ask. Who pitched your tent? If your denomination pitched your tent, it's going to collapse under the weight and doctrines of men. But if Yahweh pitched your tent, you'll get kicked out of your denominations because you'll have a burning passion inside of you that says, give me the meat. Right? I'm getting some amens because you're all here for a specific reason. It's religiously incorrect. It's politically incorrect. But it's righteously right. And that's the amazing dividing line. The Masoretic text of Numbers chapter 24 verse 6 is written. How fair are your tents, O Jacob. Your dwellings, O Israel, like palm groves that stretch out, like gardens beside a river, like aloes planted by Yahuwah. You see how the Masoretic text changes it? It's like aloes planted by Yahuwah, like cedars beside the waters. You miss it. You miss the whole purpose about the raising up of the fallen tabernacle. But the Septuagint captures it beautifully. Numbers 24, 6. How goodly are thy habitations, Jacob, and thy tents, Israel, as shady groves, and as a garden by a river, and as tents which Yahuwah pitched. 
and as cedars by the waters. That's us. That's us. That's our life. Cedars, strong house, pitched by Yahweh, that is by the waters. The storms can come, the floods can come, but you are pitched by Yahweh. That's the difference. So we can endure through times of trouble and tribulation because we didn't get pitched by the church. We didn't get pitched by the Pope, but we got pitched by Yahweh. Therefore, we cause a rub. We cause a rub. That's what we're designed to do. Now of these things that we have spoken this in summary, Hebrews chapter 8 verse 1, we have such a Kohen Haggadal, a high priest, who is sitting at the... I have to say something here. I don't think I can handle another Christian song that tells me that Jesus is standing at the right hand of the Lord. How many of those Christian songs out there? He's sitting. It's a finished work. The one time he did stand is because he stood to honor the first martyr of the faith, Stephen. But he is sitting because it is a finished, completed work, which means the inauguration of a priesthood, a royal priesthood, and he is building a house. But you see, so many times, these simple elementary principles aren't even understood. Listen to it out there. You'll hear that. Do you know what I'm talking about? There are many, many Christian songs out there that sing aloud that Christ or Jesus is standing at the right hand of the Father. He's not. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father. The one time he did stand was at Stephen's stoning to honor the first martyr of the faith. You see, we cannot listen to the dogma, but we have to read the word itself. So... He who sits at the right hand of the Kesei, the throne of the majesty in the Shamaim, in the heavens. He is an attendant of the Kadosh place, the holy place, and of the Emet, the true tent of meeting, which Yahweh pitched, not man. That's you. Just as it said in the Masoretic text in Numbers 24, verse 6. For every Kohen Haggadah, every high priest, is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. So it was also necessary that this man have something to offer. You see, as the Aaronic priesthood gives place to the priesthood of Malkitzedek, so the book of the law gives place to the Malkitzedek covenant. As the earthly sanctuary gives place to the heavenly sanctuary, and the sanctions which were but temporary give place to one which is effective and it has eternal validity that's the purpose of this teaching that's the purpose of this chapter you see the new covenant which was given as covenant torah and this is explained in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. The new covenant is given as covenant Torah. That's a huge thing. I don't know whether I'm just running hot today. 
kind of am. The new covenant, which is given as covenant Torah, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. We'll get into that willful, defiant cover-up in Hebrews 8, 6 in a moment. Is a better than what came before. Why? It is better than the enactment of law, which was the book of the law. Why? Because the book of the law was never blood ratified. It was never agreed to. This is a superior covenant because it rests on better promises. That's the basis of the whole argument. And what are those better promises? They were the better promises that were given to Abraham, which were Malkitzedek. You see, the book of the law was, in, was based upon imposed law, and it brought blessings. Yes, it did bring blessings for obedience, but it also brought all of the curses. All of the curses, and it even brought death for disobedience. In contrast, the reversion back to the book of the covenant fidelity is based upon grace. Oh, get some holy looks when you start talking about from grace, because a lot of you have got shell shock when it comes to talking about grace, right? Oh, there he goes, talking about grace. That's because people have not, the religions of the world have what? Redefine grace to allow you to be lawless. But we need to define grace back in its biblical context and we'll find that in fact the religious institutions of the world are not under Yahweh's grace. They're under his mercy. You see, because grace is the power that is put in you by the Ruach HaKodesh. Grace empowers you to keep the commandments of Yahuwah. So if the church was under Yahuwah's grace, they wouldn't be lawless, they'd be keeping his commandments. But mercy is the withholding of judgment that is required. You see, the church is actually under Yahuwah's mercy, the withholding of just judgment, because they are not walking in grace and keeping the commandments. You see how it's all flipped? So if you really want to talk about grace then you should be keeping the commandments. But let's talk about the fact that you are taking advantage of the mercy that has been put upon you. Because the moment that mercy gets ripped out from under you, you'll find yourself in the tribulation and heads roll. And they really will. Because you didn't understand grace. You see the danger of it all? The danger of it all? I think the outside heater maybe needs to come down too. Maybe my inside heater needs to cool off too. Let's look at verse 4. Now this verse, again, this one's ripped out of context by so many people that want to restrict the authority of Yahusha. Don't do that. Don't do that. Look at this verse. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 4. For if he were on earth, he would not be a Kohen, a priest. 
seeing that there are koanim, there are priests that offer gifts according to the book of the law or the law. You see, in the knee-jerk reaction is, well, you see, if he was on earth, this Malkitetic priesthood thing, it, it, it wouldn't function. Well, you've just taken the whole thing out of context. Because the context is the restriction of the Levitical priesthood and its earthly ministrations that were limited because it was restricted by what? Descendancy and an earthly carnal life. Once the high priest died, guess what? You got another high priest. In fact, there were 84 high priests from Aaron all the way up to the destruction of the temple in 70 of the common era. So the context of this is the restriction of the Levitical priesthood based upon its descendancy. It's not a verse restricting Yahusha's authority. It is not. But many people that want to get into the Levitical regime will twist the scriptures and rip this right out of context to do so. But it's not. Also notice that the author is using the present tense for both offer and serve. So what does that tell us in our historical setting? That this was written sometime before the destruction of the temple in 70 of the common era because they were presently offering sacrifices and they were presently serving in the temple. So this gives us a good dating right there that it's before 70 of the common era that this was written. Yahushua's priesthood takes over where the Levitical priesthood left off. This is... The Hebrews 7.12, change in law. Now, I don't want to speak above you. We are getting a little bit more technical. So just slip up a hand and tell me to slow down and I can repeat something. But this is what the author was talking about in Hebrews 5.11. But you guys are mature. Our audience that's watching is mature. This is the meat of the word. You see, the priesthood that Yahusha is in, it is takes over where the Levitical priesthood left off. This is the change of law, Hebrews 7.12. It's a rearrangement. This is key. It's a rearrangement of the Torah that we experience today that many people don't want to recognize. It's a rearrangement of the Torah. And that is why it's such a special message. Because the broad road on the right is anomia. It's lawlessness. But the other broad road on the left is Torah, Torah, Torah. Sounds like Pearl Harbor, doesn't it? Torah, Torah, Torah with no... Rightly dividing point, which leads to rabbinicalism, Jewishness, and Judaism when you are maybe from another tribe or maybe from a sojourner, and Yahweh's people are a multicolored coat. We're not supposed to try and mimic the New World Order, right? The Khazars, the Bolsheviks, and so on. And so forth. So, as we can see now, there is a rearrangement that the Torah has experienced as a result of the payment of the death penalty position that Yahushua paid 
the death penalty position of Genesis chapter 15, and the resulting restoration back to covenant fidelity that was breached. When was that covenant fidelity breached? Of course, at the golden calf, Exodus chapter 32. Now look at verse 5. They who serve, present tense, meaning the temple service was going on at the time of our writing, those who serve as the example and shadow of heavenly things. As Moshe was admonished by Eloah when he was about to make the tent of meeting. For see, he said that you make all things according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. So Moshe made everything according to the pattern that he saw on the mountain. Moshe saw with the soul's eye the immaterial forms of material objects. He saw with the soul's eye the immaterial forms of material objects which were about to be made. In accordance with these forms and copies, these were now becoming perceptible to Moshe's senses. They were becoming perceptible to Moshe's senses and they were what? Reproduced. And you understand this as an artist. You see something, it comes into you, who is a what? Living soul. And then you take something and then you start to actually build it into a form. That artists understand this kind of language. And Moshe was a gifted artists and as was Bezial, the artisans. So what he was able to do then was to reproduce what his senses were able to comprehend in kind of like an architectural type of drawing. And he laid out patterns, all of these things that he conceived in his mind. Moshe was able to do. Moshe was able to grasp with his mind the invisible ideas laid up eternally in the place above the heavens. Many, many artists have that gifting. That's where it comes from. That you're able to do the kinds of things that you do is because this gifting is in Yahuwah's people. But the New World Order, of course, wants to come in and corrupt that and use it for all kinds of hellacious hellacious artwork. And you know, some of the biggest propaganda that's ever been brought forth is by the Bolsheviks and the lewd art that was brought forth in Germany in around 1918 to 1928, you know. It was very, very... I mean, everybody would... in Many, many people in Europe would travel to Germany during that time because it had such a Bolshevik stronghold and there was huge, huge decadence and despicability all throughout the fallen, fallen empire. But now, as we continue on, we can see that because of this golden calf breach, Moshe was commanded to give material expression to the ideas in a tabernacle on earth as a guide. You see, that tabernacle on earth, its purpose was to guide us. It was to... Why? Because Israel was a stiff-necked, rebellious people that broke the covenant. You see, if they hadn't broken the covenant, there would have been no tabernacle. People don't understand that. Yahweh's perfect will was that there wouldn't have been a tabernacle. 
The only reason there was a tabernacle is because they broke the covenant and they needed it spelt out to them. They needed literally the material form right before their eyes because they had no concept of the heavenly realm, of holiness, of covenant fidelity. So they literally had to make furniture for them, just as you would a child, just as you would a child. And this is what our author is now focusing on. We can now transcend. If you're in the meat, if you've accepted the Malkitzedic, you should be able to transcend the earthly to which point is going to be driven home right now in the audience of the book of Hebrews. That earthly realm is going to be driven home that you need to transcend it by who? The Romans are going to come to town, and if you don't transcend it, then guess what? They'll crush it, and you'll be forced to either walk with Yahweh and transcend it, or come up with your own Pharisaic religion and make a whole different religion now based upon the fact that you have no temple. Welcome to rabbinic Judaism. So why would you want to get into that? Because they couldn't transcend the earthly. That's why they're so focused on the earthly. They could never transcend the earthly. That's why Heim Richman in the Temple Institute and all these people into the Levitical hierarchy of what's going to happen in Jerusalem. They are still carnal. They cannot transcend the earthly. It's just what our author addressed 2,000 years ago. And here you and I are, and we get it. We understand. We read Ezekiel 28. We get the heavenly concept. We have transcended that. But if you're in the carnal earthly realm, you're just grasping for matter. We'll be able to walk through matter. There'd be roadblocks and there'd be checkpoints and you will literally be able to walk through them. You will be unseen in an invisible realm. TSA, they'll be doing all kinds of things to the earthly realm. But you and I be able to transcend that realm. Believe me, believe me truly. It says in 2 Baruch chapter 4, verse 5, I showed also to Moshe on Mount Sinai when I showed him the likeness of the tabernacle and all its vessels. Behold, now it is pre- preserved with me as also paradise. You see, not only the tabernacle, but all, but all of its vessels, all of its furniture were ultimately with the Zedek in the heavens, making those on earth, they were replicas only. And now today, up in the Temple Institute, we've got replicas of replicas, of replicas, You see how carnal this is? But this is the great deception that's building in our day, Thessalonians. Paul speaks to the Thessalonians. This is the great deception. This is is the apex of history. That we are the generation that will witness this. That will witness this. 
The copies, including the priesthood, will always be inferior to the original is the purpose of Hebrews chapter 8. I heard myself the call back to authenticity after I visited the Temple Institute. And I saw all the furniture, and I saw the fire pans, and I saw the high priestly dress, and I saw all of those things. And it was there right in, but that was at the height of my rabbinical stage in my life. And I saw all that, but there was something missing. I knew that I had to transcend what my eyes could see. That we do not walk by, do we? We don't. But we live in a world which is so sensual and visual. And there's the rub. There's the rub. If you can't see it, you can't touch it, you can't smell it, it's not real. That's the deception. So therefore, when the blockades come up, when the walls come up, when the checkpoints come up, the people will cower in fear and be gripped by fear and they will be enslaved. But Yahweh's people who understand that you transcend the earthly realm will be anointed and appointed to lead those captured in the nations to their freedom. It's going to be the greatest exile that there has ever been, the prophets say. And you and I are at the tip of the spear. You have to be willing to let go of the replicas in your life. You have to be. You have to hear the call and you have to be willing to let go of the replicas in your life. We live by faith, not by sight. Yahushua operates in a priestly service, in a far deeper reality, beyond the veil, beyond what can humanly be seen. My life, your life is a witness to that. Beyond what can humanly be seen, he makes his ministry far superior to the earthly ministry of the Levites. Why is it so important to us? Because this will affect our very future. Because if you fail to comprehend what I'm saying, what the writer is saying in this specific chapter, you will fail to comprehend that the book of Revelation is set in the heavenly temple. It's not set in Rabbi Chaim Rickman's temple up on Jerusalem that's going to be built. It's not set there. It's set in the heavenly temple. The temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven. Revelation 15 verse 5. You see, don't be deceived. When you see the Illuminati backed and financed by the Bolsheviks, when they put that flashing replica in Jerusalem, when they put it on screens before your eyes and you see men slain in the street from all over the world. It's going to be set up by the Jesuits, the Zionists, the globalists, and they will be the ones ministering over the sacrifices. 
And you see it. They're telling you they're going to do it. Even with David Bowie who died and they had the Grammys this week. I'm surprised they scaled it back as conservatively as they did. But their tributes to him, I, I was full on expecting like they did with Michael Jackson that there would be the full-on holographic him performing before Michael Jackson. They did that with Michael Jackson after he died. You see, this holographic imagery of dead people, this is what they're testing out. And where are they going to test it out on? They're going to test it out on the people in the Word? Or are they going to test it out on the people on the Kool-Aid, on the fluoride, and on the vaccines at the Grammys? That's where they're going to test it out on and that's what they do. Because ultimately, they're going to use that virtual reality up on the Temple Mount to deceive the nations. To deceive the nations. And it is all about what? Priesthood, temple, sacrifice. So mark my words, when we spend this time on the meat, this is the thing. And I stand before you as a witness that sometimes in this world, sometimes in this biblical world of exploration, it is like digging ditches. People come up to me. Oh, brother, oh, it must be amazing when you're in the Word and you must get so much revelation. I am just like the rest of you. Sometimes it's dry bones. But guess what? I know that I'm just going to continue to dig those ditches. I'm reading through the genealogies just like the rest of you. And it's digging ditches. But I keep digging and I keep digging and I've been digging for years. And guess what? I know now, because I've done it long enough, that he is always faithful and the rain will come and I will have water when everybody else is dry. And the revelation will come and he will fill in the work that you have done. This is the work that we're doing now. You may not understand the importance of this message right now. Priesthood, temple, and sacrifice. This is the ditches. While everybody's out there doing all of their carnal stuff, you're in here studying this out. Because one day, when they put up the holographic imagery and they had the two witnesses lying dead on the street, when that happens... That's when the water will come and you will have supernatural discernment and you will immediately, I can't click my fingers, otherwise I would, you would immediately transcend this earthly realm into the heavenly realm in a supernatural way. I know it, I've experienced it, and I know many of you have, we haven't experienced it, how we're going to experience it. But this is, the, this is boot camp. Supernatural, right now. And these young men that are being raised up on it, when we start to draw back, it'll be that, that generation that will say, come on forward. Because they have none of the programming that us who are older have had. Verse 6. But now Yahushua HaMashiach has obtained a greater service by which he is also the mediator of a more advanced 
advantageous covenant which was given as Torah based upon more advantageous promises. That's the correct translation. This is the verse that has been deliberately, willfully, defiantly mistranslated to keep the whole of those on fluoride, vaccines, and MTV lawless. This right here tells you that this new covenant is based upon Torah and it's based upon better promises. But there is the mistranslation of the word that they did translate correctly in the previous chapter, in Hebrews chapter 7 verse 11. The Greek word there is nen methoteo and it means receive the law. Hebrews 7.11, they translate it perfectly. But somehow they stumble on it in Hebrews chapter 8 verse 6 and they just can't get it right because if they translated that Greek word the way they did in the previous chapter guess what the game the shenanigans would be up and the institutionalized church would crumble in their lawless stupor it's right here the Messiah Yahushua has obtained a greater service. He is the mediator of a better covenant, but that better covenant is given as Torah based upon more advantageous promises, the promises given to Abraham. Not the advantageous Torah of promises given to Aaron. No, that's the broad road on the left. The broad road on the right doesn't even translate it right because they want you to be lawless. But the narrow road recognizes that the new covenant is the Torah that was given to Abraham. Those promises are Ephesians 2.12, the covenants and the covenants of promise. That's royal covenant Torah living. Isn't that wonderful? Yahushua is the mediator, and he is typified, just as we see in the Tanakh, with that reconciliation, the reconciling rainbow that encircles the throne. Just like Jacob's ladder was able to what? Reconcile Jacob with what was going on with the heavens. That was the mediator. That ladder was a mediator. That rainbow was a mediator Yahushua typifies all that and brings us into the fullness of what's going on in the heavenlies. Verse 7, for if the first, now many will, many of your translations, give me a show of hands, who's got covenant in their text in Hebrews chapter 8 verse 7? Who's got it not italicized? It's just in there. Okay. So which ones have covenant and it's italicized? Well, that, that, was, that was decent of them. The italicized tells you that it's not in the text, but in some translations, they don't want even to give you any idea that it's not in the text. The Greek word, which is missing from the text, is diatheke. Diatheke, which means covenant. It's not even in the text. So it really says, for if the first had been faultless... Well, what are we talking about? Are we talking about covenant? Is that even in the context? Or are we talking about priesthood, temple, and sacrifices? I mean, so you have to to look at that, and you see, well, obviously, this 
priesthood. If the first priesthood had been faultless, was it faultless? Was it based upon men and their flesh and their carnality and they lasted for a generation and they died and they even had to go in, before they could even go into the Holy of Holies, they had to do what? They offered a sacrifice for their sins. So contextually, we know Hebrews chapter 8 verse 7, for if the first priesthood had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for a second priesthood. Now, the Greek actually reads, Aigarche prote akain en amempos. And when we look at these two Greek words, che prote, we have to ask, well, what are they connected to? Because they're not just like dangling out in space. What are these two Greek words, che prote, connected to? I mean, are they even connected to covenant in the text? that would justify them slipping covenant into the text. You see, I like to try and get my head around what these translators were up to. You see, I like to try and think what they were, because then you can see how literally willful and defiant it is. And people come to say, oh, say Matthew, or you're just thinking the worst. Well, no, 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 no. I, I'm in the text, and, and you, you start looking at this, and you can see it's, it's deliberate. It's deliberate. Just as today, when all the political whores get before you, what they're telling you and what they leave out is deliberate. Unless you really think that Hillary lost her emails. Right? But CNN and MSNBC... Well, she lost her emails. But you start questioning that, and you are a conspiracy theorist. Especially if you don't take the nude scanner, right? Gee. If you look at the surrounding context, there are only four feminine nouns that hey prote can be legitimately associated. Let's look at these four surrounding feminine nouns, and then you'll see, don't take my word for it. You can see that there could be diakathe, which is covenant. There could be skene, tabernacle. There could be cherasune, which is priesthood. And there could be liturgia, where we get the English word liturgy, which is ministry or service. It's the latter three. Skene, tabernacle. Cherasune, priesthood. And liturgia, ministry of service. The latter three are, of course, what? Associated with the Levitical sacrificial system, which our author has already confirmed to us in verses 1 through 4. So contextually, covenant doesn't belong there. And I'm not that smart. It didn't take me very long to figure that out. It irritates me, can you tell? It should irritate you. I got kicked out of the church because I started to think like this. Okay? Okay? 
in reality, I should have been made the pastor. Oh, but they did offer me that. They did offer me that. But it was a conditional offer, which of course had the promise of money. And then it was conditional upon pre-tribulation rapture teaching and the law of Moses is nailed to the cross. And I'm not saying I teared up. I'm not saying I got emotional. But I said, I can't do that. I can't do it. I can't do it. Because I had a decision and I knew that was a crossroads moment. That was a crossroads moment. That was a selling your soul moment for mammon, power, position. I knew it. Dangerous. You think all these movie stars, you think all these... That's why they're all in the triangle business. (laughs) But you see that these latter three are associated with the Levitical sacrificial system. Skene, tabernacle, cherasune, priesthood, and liturgia, ministry of service. These are contextually only associated with the Levitical sacrificial system. Tabernacle, priesthood, and ministry of service are bypassed and they are surpassed by Yahusha and his Malkitzetic order. That's it. It's not that technical when we slow it down and dedicate the time that we should be dedicating to the Holy Writ. Right? Writ. Right? Writ. Because he has enacted, it's, it almost has a tempo to it. He's enacted the one, two, three. The one, two, three. He really has. He's enacting it. It's only through the new priesthood that the new covenant can be enacted. You cannot have a new covenant without a new priesthood. You can't have one without the other. And if you have them both, they are connected to Torah. But not to Levitical Torah, to the Torah that is based upon better promises given to Abraham. Now, you're really starting to make a rub. And I've got some of you looking at me, what did you just say? It's only through the new priesthood that the new covenant could be enacted. It's only those things which were occupied by the book of the covenant breaking generation. Those that were placed under the administration of the book of the law that are at fault. That's it. The tabernacle, was that placed under the book of the law administration? Yes. The priesthood, was that placed under the book of the law administration? And the ministry of service, was that placed under the book of the law administration? Those are at fault. Was the broken covenant placed under the book of the law administration? No. It was broken. It had nothing to do with the book of the law. It was broken. It couldn't be 
put under their administration, they had a whole new deal. So the fact is, it is only the things that were put under the book of the law administration that are in view here that are annulled and brought into a new... Am I the only one, brother, you... Right? Yes? Okay. So I'm feeling alone up here. (laughs) But it's the tabernacle. It's the priesthood. It's the ministry of service that were the problem. It wasn't the book of the covenant at Sinai that was the problem. It was the bloody people that were the problem. That was the problem. Nothing from Genesis 1 all the way to 24.12 of Exodus was the problem. It's those stinking people. And they did stink. (laughs) It was those officers and ministrations that were performed by sinful men that was the problem. And still very much in view at the time of the writing of this book that required the change. With Yahushua's Malkitzedic realm, we are the tabernacle. You are the tabernacle of believers ordained into his priesthood where we are presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice which is your reasonable service. Your bodies. What we do with our bodies. What we do with our bodies is supposed to be a service to him. So behave yourself. <laughs> right? It's not hard. It's a total transference. It's a total transference. For if the first priesthood, which was tabernacle, ministry, and service, All were in the hands of what? Covenant-breaking men. The problem was with the man, not with Yahuwah's covenant. It was never with his covenant. There was never the problem with his covenant. The problem was with, with the man. If that had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for a second. One priesthood and its imposed law and resulting ministrations is juxtaposed with the new priesthood and the new covenant it was the priesthood that was in the hands of men that was found to have fault by Yahweh and not even apparent to man that it was not faultless at the covenant wasn't faultless it was that it was in the hands of sinful men and what they did one was old and transitionary or changeable and temporary and the other is unchangeable and eternal the old is superseded by the new One was faulty in that it couldn't produce the power for justification. Therefore, it didn't produce justification. If Yahuwah intended the book of the law and its ministrations to be permanent, then there would have been no room for another priesthood and its resulting covenant. That's the argument that is being brought forth with. And that, resonates deeply with me. If it were faultless, then there would have been no need to look for another. 
But we know that it, the priesthood, and all that was associated with it was faulty because it's failure to produce justification. Well, once a yearly covering, keporah, does not equal justification. Does it? Even the prophets anticipated the abandonment of the book of the law upon which the old priesthood rested and the introduction of the new covenant and its resulting justification. Now we're going to get into the longest quote in the New Testament from the Tanakh. This is the longest quote. You'd think we'd want to spend some time on it. This is the longest quote of the Old Testament in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 8. For finding fault with them, how, how on earth could they jack us for all that time? How could they lie to us for all that time and say, see, the law of Moses is nailed to the tree. It's against, that's the law of Moses. Then it just takes some young kid like me to stand up and go, Hang on a minute. Can we back up to Matthew 5:17? What? <laughs> you know? I was taught to question everything from a young age. I grew up in a very politically active family, and we would sit down every Sunday and we would always eat together and have these big elaborate Sunday roasts. And my goodness, it was hostile. But it was good. But there was a lot of argument abounding. And we would have these conversations. And I began to question everything. Then when they shipped me off to boarding school, oh, I became rabid. I would question everything and challenge everything. And that's why I'm (laughs) self-employed. And have been since I was 19 years old. (laughs) For finding fault with them. Of course, the context is the priests. Yahuwah had already found fault with the nation in the wilderness. Of course, the priests have to offer up sacrifice for their sins as well as the nations. So the nation at large, yes, it's still in view here, but particularly the priests. The new covenant is inaugurated because of the weakness of the Levitical priests. It's not, that was not very difficult to assert during the first century. It was very apparent to our audience that the Levitical priests were weak because they were corrupt. They were corrupt. He says, Behold, the days come, says the Master Yahuwah, when I will make a Brit Hadashah, a new, it doesn't mean renewed, It means new. You don't renew a broken covenant. You make a brand new one. So this Hebraic nonsense that's been around, oh, it's renewed. Like it's like the old one, exactly, but renewed. And then they give you this stuff about, you know, like the moon is renewed. every. Sounds good, but no, it's new. Covenant's broken, we need a new one. We don't renew it. Galatians tells us that once a covenant's annulled, no one can add to it. We have to read that or annul it. So we have a brand new covenant, Brit, 
Hadashah, new covenant. And, you know, I have to go back and beat up the old me who said renewed. So I was right there and fell along even with the religious trappings then. Because I was a little naive, unlike any of you, that once I left the institutionalized church, I was like, this is it! And then I began to smell a little rabbinical rat and realize that it's just another religion too. That when you start questioning that one, you get chucked out of the Davidic dance circle. Where does it say that David ever danced like that? He would have been beaten up. It's called gypsy dancing. They did that occult gypsy dancing all through Europe when I grew up. And it got brought over into Israel by the Bolshevik hippie movement. And now it's Davidic dancing. We've done a teaching on that. Info at tribes.com if you want to find out the nonsense about Davidic circle dancing. I mean, the, the nuttiness abounds. It really does. Doesn't it? And I like to dance. But I like to break dance. <laughs> That's the kind of dancing <laughs> that I like to do. All right. In all seriousness. Oh, help me, Jesus. (laughs) His name's not Jesus. It's Yeshua. No, it's not. It's Yahusha. You see what trouble you've started, Ronald? My goodness. Thank you. Take a breath. Let's go to verse (laughs) 9. Not according to the Brit that I made with their avot, their fathers in the day that I took them, by the hand to lead them out of the land of Mitzrayim, because they continued not in my Brit, my covenant, and I regarded them not. I regarded them not. Now, in the Masoretic text right here, it says, though I was a husband to them. But who's the husband? Though I was a husband to them. Baal, traditionally translated as husband, can be translated as to loathe or to reject in the sense of looking down upon them. Though Yahweh loathed, rejected, and looked down upon them. Why? Because of their covenant infidelity. Because of their covenant infidelity. I regarded them not, says the master Yahuwah. Verse 10, for this is the Brit. This is the covenant that I make with the house of Israel after those days, says the master Yahuwah. I will put my, their, my Torah in their mind and I will write it upon their leaven oat, on their heart. 
and I will be their Elohim, and they shall be my people, and me. And they shall not teach every man his fellow Israelite citizen, and every man his Israelite brother, saying, Know the Master, Yahuwah, for all Israel, call Israel, shall know me from the least to the greatest of them. For I will forgive their unrighteousness and their sins and their Torahlessness. Will I remember no more? That's amazing. So this new relationship, it involves six things in particular. Number one, covenant Torah is made with the whole house of Israel and the whosoevers of Exodus chapter 23. Number two, the new covenant affects all people, but it can only be accessed through grafting into Israel. Number three, covenant Torah, it's planted in your psyche. It's planted in your psyche. Number four, the Torah is connected to the enactment of the new covenant as opposed to being at odds with as the institutionalized church teaches. And number five, covenant Torah is written on our hearts. It's the external to the internal shift. It's the external to the internal shift. Stone was the external representing what? Covenant infidelity, you whores. I just like to say that. (laughs) I wasn't looking at you, Carol. Her eyebrows, she's like... (laughs) I think your hair looks great. She just shared with me that my mother-in-law cut her hair. Gave me the eye roll, the eyebrow pop. I can get away with things up here that I could never get away with anywhere else, and I take advantage of it all. (laughs) And so would you. But Covenant Torah is written on our hearts. It is the external to the internal shift. It was written on their heart. It was written on stone, external, because they were infidels. They were infidelity to the covenant. But now it is written on our heart because we are faithful and it's an inward change. It's an inward change. Flesh represents the regenerated heart of covenant circumcision. And number six... The Ruach HaKodesh teaches us convicting our hearts and renewing our minds. You see, we know Yahuwah through personal experience. He brings us into full, intimate relationship with him. You see, the new covenant isn't a lawless grace like the institutionalized church would have us believe. Nor is it a reinvigorated old covenant like the Messianics would have us believe. It's based upon an entirely different premise, and it is not like the covenant which I made with their fathers. I'm not making this stuff up. It says it right there. 
You see? It's not like the covenant which I made with their fathers. It's about the covenants of promise. Not imposed laws being in our hearts. Imposed laws aren't put in our hearts. It's a circumcision of our hearts and it's a covenant like no other. Because it transcends this earthly realm and brings us into the heavenly priestly realm. This new covenant is made possible only through a higher order of priests that can officiate not in physical temples on earth, but a higher order priest that can officiate amongst the tabernacle that Yahweh pitched his people. Because he pitched you all. Only a high priest after the order of Melchizedek was able to bring the gift of his own blood into the heavenly temple. The true tabernacle. Only this new order, not the new world order, but this new order of priesthood could bring true righteousness to men writes the Torah on our hearts and circumcises our hearts. Verse 13, when he said, a new priesthood, he has made the first obsolete, but whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. It can't be stated any clearer. The priesthood's And covenants of the book of the law, which were all priesthood, sacrifice, and temple-based, are obsolete. The Greek word means to advance in age or to grow old and decay. It's a word picture that supports the word old as in old priesthood. Even Jeremiah The prophet insisted that Israel and Judah had broken the covenant and that for this reason there was need for an entirely new covenant based upon better promises. The Levitical priesthood is abolished. And many people will say, well, how can that be so? Let's take pause. Because we do need to make us making a statement like that, the Levitical priesthood is abolished, we need to take pause. That's a big statement. And we do need to revisit a scripture or two. Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 17 seems to make that statement inaccurate. For this says Yahweh, David shall never lack an heir to sit upon the throne of the house of Israel. Neither shall the priests, the Levites, lack men before me to offer burnt offerings and to kindle grain offerings and to do sacrifice continually. But you just said that the Levitical priesthood was abolished. What about this scripture? And the word of Yahweh came to Yahu, saying, This says Yahweh, if you can break my Brit, my covenant with the day, and if you can break my covenant with the night, and that there should not be day and night in their timing, in their season, then may also my covenant be broken with David, my servant, that he should not have a son to rule upon his throne, and with the Levites, the priests, my servants. Did you catch that? 
Was there a conditional caveat to what I just read? There was. First Kings chapter 9, verse 5. As I promised to David thy father, saying, There shall not fail thee a man upon the throne of Israel, but you have to watch out for the big buts. You just do. But if she, if she, <laughs> if, <laughs> I love it. If ye shall at all turn from following me, ye or your children, well, <laughs> I just got to behave myself. Brother John is blushing back there because he's like, I am going to be up all night long, editing and re-editing. We are trying to do something professional here, and then you show up. Tamara, she gave me, I got, the, I, got the, I got the wife look. Okay. Cool down. Judah, could you get me with some more holy water? Thank you. All right. 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 5. I'm going to really behave now because I got the wife look. As I promised to David thy father, saying, There shall not fail thee a man upon the throne of Israel, but if ye shall at all turn from following me, ye or your children, and will not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then will I cut off Israel out of the land. Again, we've got the but, if, then, I context, which tells you what? It's a condition. But, if, then, I. It's a condition. This was a conditional covenant. Thank you, brother. This was a conditional covenant that Israel and Judah failed to walk in. This is not like a covenant of promise, is it? All covenant authority of monarchy and priesthood were transferred to Yahweh's son. People twist this verse. They twist this verse to mean a without end Davidic dynasty, a without end Levitical dynasty. And my question always is, well, where is it? Where is this without end Davidic dynasty? It's not Prince Charles. And where is the Levitical without end sacrificial system? It's not been there for 2,000 years plus. Even in Yahushua's time, there was no king of Israel, let alone from the line of David, was there? And there hadn't been one since Zedekiah and the Babylonian captivity around 587 before the common era. And there's no Levitical priesthood to boot. And we haven't seen that for over 2,000 years. So Yahushua himself decreed over Jerusalem that their house would be left, not made, but their house would be left to them desolate, as in it already was desolate. 
Matthew chapter 23, verse 38. So that's how I can say the Levitical priesthood is abolished because it was a covenant, it was a contract that was conditional and they broke the conditions. Therefore, you do not see these things today and you hadn't seen them since 587 before the common era with the Davidic dynasty and 70 of the common era with the Levitical dynasty. Only a kingdom has a king, but a house doesn't. And that's why he said, your house will be left as in it already was desolate. That's what they ended up with. They ended up with a desolate house, void of a king. That's what they ended up with. You see, Jeremiah identifies monarchy and priesthood as permanent parts of Yahweh's plan for Israel. Yes, but the promise of a perpetual priesthood, it's realized in John the Immerser. That's the transference. The perpetual priesthood is realized in John the Immerser. And the continuance of the Davidic monarchy is seen in the Davidic Messiah as he fulfills all Zadokar righteousness as he comes up out of the water. Not in some Levitical fantasy. You see, people don't realize the kingship change. It had already been prophesied in Jeremiah chapter 22 verse 30. In Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 30, it talks about the king's line and that the king's line, it was going to be childless. It wouldn't prosper. Neither him nor his descendants would sit on the throne or rule anymore. And the priesthood change, well, that was prophesied in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 16. The ark of the covenant, meaning the priesthood, wouldn't come to mind. It wouldn't even be remembered It wouldn't be visited or made anymore. It was finished. But it's so easy to rip a text out of context and build a whole doctrine of Levitical hierarchy upon it. But when you start seaming it together, you can see it's a conditional covenant. Conditional, condition. They broke the condition. Therefore, they don't have the benefits of the covenant. That's called consequence. Now to seal, to seal the whole deal, to seal the transference, Yahweh then breaks his agreement with the day and the night. Remember in Jeremiah 33, 19, it says that the agreement, the covenant he has with the day and the covenant with the night, well, he breaks that covenant with the day and with the night right when, when? When Mashiach is on the tree, he breaks the covenant with the day. He breaks the covenant with their night. They are not in their seasons. They are not in their time. And darkness comes all over the land. The Levitical sacrifice for Passover isn't going to happen that year because Caiaphas just ripped his garment. And at that point, it's apparent. Power is going to be given to the resurrected Messiah. Oh yes, they quibble over his garments, but they don't tear his garments because that would have annulled his priesthood. From the sixth to the ninth hour in Matthew 27 verse 45 is the agreement that Yahweh made with the day and the night broken. And darkness came all over the land. 
And his death is what qualifies his priesthood. Your throne, it says in Psalm 45, verse 6, O Elohim, is forever and ever. It's a scepter of righteousness. And it's the scepter of your kingdom. Finishing up in Hebrews 8, 13. In that he says, a new priesthood. He has made the first obsolete. Now that which decays and becomes old is near disappearing. Now there's two Greek words finishing up for old. Now the first is archaeos. Archaeos, which is where we get archaeology from. It means old in a point of time. But it's very important that we understand this because it means old in a point of time but still usable. You know, you've got an old pair of trousers, but you can still wear them. You've got an old jumper, but you can still put your jumper on and wear it. But that's not the Greek word that's used. Another Greek word is paleos, where we get the English word paleontology. Paleontology. It means old in the point of use, worn out, useless, decayed, obsolete. And that is the word that's used here. That is the word that's used here. It's in the Greek perfect tense, meaning the book of the law and the Levitical priesthood are old in the sense of useless and they continue to be so. And that's so hard for people to swallow, especially if they're into all the rabbinic stuff. The new covenant Torah permanently antiquated them both. And this is why it's the narrow road. We're not teaching lawlessness on the broad road to the right, but we're not teaching Levitical hierarchy and a twisting with rabbinical Torah, the broad road on the left. Malkitzedic covenant Torah is the Torah that was given to Abraham. It's the Shabbats, the feasts, the Moedim, and holy kosher biblical diet and living. Immersion, sanctification, it's the life of the Zadokite community in Qumran. They got it. They got it, but they didn't have the full realization of Yahusha that we do. But they anticipated him in the Malkitzedic scroll. They anticipated him, but we get to have him. We get it all. You are a blessed people. If Yahuwah pitched your tent. If Yahuwah pitched your tent. So let's sum it all up by keeping it simple. Yahusha died for our sins. Not so we wouldn't have to keep the commandments like Sabbath, the dietary commandments and the feasts of Yahuwah. He is our eternal sacrifice. He is our eternal priesthood. And he is our eternal temple. Reconciliation to Yahweh were accomplished by these three things, weren't they? So that's what changes. 
Reconciliation to Yahuwah was never through the dietary commandments. They don't change. Reconciliation to Yahuwah was never through Sabbath. That doesn't change. Reconciliation to Yahuwah wasn't through the feasts. So they don't change. Reconciliation to Yahuwah wasn't through holy, righteous living in a sick and twisted world. So you don't get to do away with holy, righteous righteous living either. You get to mikvah and do that righteous living too. Reconciliation was always through sacrificed priesthood and temple. These were the objects of atonement for sin in the book of the law. These were the things that were transferred with the close of the book of the law administration and the return to the book of the covenant living through the new covenant, which is royal, which means it's kingly, which means it's Torah, Hebrews 8, verse 6. Keeping Shabbat, like I said, observing the feasts and keeping the dietary requirements and so on and so forth had nothing to do with atonement for sin. Nothing to do with atonement for sin. He did not end these commandments. Now, on the other hand, if you look to animal sacrifices, you look to a Levitical priesthood, and another Jewish temple, then that's when you're encroaching upon the blood of Yahushua and putting his sacrifice to an open shame. And ultimately, those are the choices that we have to make. But if he pitched your tabernacle, it's a burning choice that's within you and you'll make the right decision. Because you can't not make the right decision because it burns within your very essence. Sorry I got a little crazy there. But I get so excited about all this stuff. (laughs) Questions, comments, yes. Ah, yes, yes. Um, the The fourth note... When we looked at this new relationship, it involved six things. The fourth one was the Torah is connected to the enactment of the new covenant as opposed as being with odds with it that the institutionalized church would teach. It's connected. Connected. Anything else? See, I cooled down. Thanks, Judah. Yeah. Brother Steve? Well, Abba Yahweh, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this time in your word. And I pray for all the people out there. I pray, Abba, for what you're doing across this nation, across the globe. And Abba, we pray that your Malchut HaShamayim, your kingdom of heaven, would come. Amen. Amen.